The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Sustainability Review Podcast, an online publication that is committed to sharing content through a sustainability perspective. The editorial board consists of graduate and undergraduate sustainability scholars, scientists, and professionals across many diverse disciplines. I'm Katie Finley. I'm Daniel Velez. I'm Kelly Rorix. I'm Andrew Hudson. I'm new. He is new. All right. And today, we're going to talk about Donald Trump and a resilience test of our checks and balances. So over roughly the past eight months of his presidency, the country has been in an uproar at the daily actions of Donald Trump, with matters of domestic and foreign policy being announced via Twitter, along along with position stances and threats. With many things said, the main question for today is what has actually been done and what is the impact of these actions in terms of sustainability? So I'm going to go through here a list of what I found has actually been done so far. Uh, CNN did a really good piece on this. It was every actual like legislative action that he's taken. Um, so as of right now, he's only passed two new pieces of legislation, one of which was the Sanctions Act against Russia, um, which passed. I think there was like five total votes against it between the House and Senate. Yeah, well, I, I, did he, I don't think he brought that up. I thought no, that no, was he, had to, he had to sign it, but like that was something that got dropped on his desk. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he had no choice. It was going to pass. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, of the two new pieces of legislation, one of those like he didn't have his choice on. Um, so 15 pieces of legislation which have been passed through what is known as the Congressional Review Act, which actually allows Congress to roll back regulations imposed by the executive branch. Um, those are all pieces of legislation that uh, President Obama had put in place that are now being uh, rolled back. So the other thing, too, is he's taken a number of executive actions. And the important distinction here is that um, executive action, actions cannot make law, but they are meant to, quote unquote, clarify or act to further a law put forth by the Congress or the Constitution. So essentially, it can clarify existing rule. Um, but it has to be rooted in the Constitution. Okay, so it's kind of a gray area. So you can you definitely do see a lot of um, fights in court over a lot of these things, and you can see why they're unpopular in many ways because you do circumvent Congress. Um, a few notable ones here are he has uh, passed a measure revising the Clean Water Rule, which it was meant to uh, basically like revise the language or like clear it up so that it was very direct, and they're not doing that anymore. Uh, there's he passed three different mem- uh, memoranda which allowed for the construction of the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline. Um, there was one known as implementing an America First offshore energy strategy, um, and then he's done two different ones for infrastructure projects. Uh, there was one is basically speeding up the environmental review and permitting process for infrastructure projects, and then uh, there's one uh, reducing regulation and controlling regulatory costs. So essentially, streamlining environmental processes. Um, easing the regulatory burden and allowing these things to take place. So that's a list of what concretely has been done. So then if we switch gears for a second and talk about what he said, he said a lot of things, but we want to talk about, um, I guess we want to kind of set a baseline before we go talking about his impact on uh, the country and sustainability. So in August 2015, uh, when he first announced his run for presidency, If you guys remember, he said, uh, when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. All right. So all this does is add to the false rhetoric that immigrants are all immigrants are criminals in this country. 
Uh, he ridiculed Megan Kelly, saying that she had blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her what, wherever. So, lovely. Uh, in September 2015, so the next month, he ridiculed uh, Carly Fiorina during a debate and said, look at her face. Can you imagine that? The face of our next president. Adding to the regu- So this added to the reg- rhetoric of diminishing women for, one, being women, and two, being devalued as women if you don't look like a supermodel. Okay? Um, so then he was also quoted as saying that he saw Muslims cheering when the World Trade Centers came down during 9-11, even though there is no evidence of this happening. He, he was quoted as saying, I, and I watched in Jersey City, New, New Jersey, where thousands and thousands of people were cheering as that building was coming down. Thousands of people were cheering. So this just adds to the Islamophobia rhetoric. So fast forwarding to February 2016. Okay, so he refused, initially refused to condemn the support of David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the KKK. Um, in the recent Charlottesville protest, uh, where a white supremacist ran over counter-protesters, Trump did not condemn the white supremacist and neo-Nazis, and instead said that there was violence from, quote-unquote, many sides. He, def- he, he drew uh, a lot of cri- criticism from Republicans, Democrats, and basically everybody except for the white supremacists themselves. So this goes on to for his support of white nationalism. So now that we've given that overview, I want to uh, bring this back here and take a few minutes to talk about what we think the impacts of these actions are. Because at least one I see, um, there was a, the headline recently that apparently the Trump administration is not going to pull out of the Paris climate deal anymore, even though there was no way we were going to pull out of it in the first place. But um, you definitely see that local and state government are stepping up to fill the holes left by Trump. So a lot of these states are working individually um, to strike their own deals. So I guess the th- thing I want to, or the point I want to make here is that the flip side of weakening federal stances is that the states, you know, the whole thing with states' rights, they can pursue more uh, active or stringent legislation. It just has to meet the baseline of what the federal government says. So you can say that everybody can do whatever they want, but in a lot of ways, you know, the, a lot of people will take up the stance of we're actually going to pursue these things. Yeah, and historically speaking, it's always been the states that have done any type of like environmental action besides, you know, the the creation of the EPA, the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, mm-hmm. et cetera. But besides that, it's usually the states that have always been in the forefront of like creating change for like the environment. So then another thing too is that you see uh, CEOs and businesses have really started taking the lead in calling for climate change to be addressed. And then they've uh, actually opposed other actions such as his travel ban, um, the him ending DACA. So there was like every time he does one of these things has to do with immigrants or whatever it may be, you've got CEOs of businesses stepping up and saying, Hey, this is not a good idea. We need to recognize these things as real or like recognize their importance, I should say too. Um, And then lastly, that I think, you know, in many ways we thought that electing a democratic president would unify us towards a common goal, but it's almost like Trump has been the unifying force because everybody knows sees him and we have this resistance against him. It's almost like, like by having him as president, like more people are on board with these causes than if we had like a democratic president, like where you only have so many people following that. Well, I think because he, like everything he says is so hateful, um, it's getting all different groups, like you said, like mm-hmm. getting into a realm of politics they never wanted to be involved in. And so like people who aren't really political, they're just like, oh, it's whatever. But then when things are happening, they're like, whoa, hold the phone. Let mm-hmm. me get involved in this. And I think that's actually kind of a benefit that's been going on with Trump as our president is that more people are wanting to get their voice heard in politics. 
Right, this is a chance for everybody to enter into the big discussion. Yeah. And also, um, uh, Obama was a unifying force for uh, the quote-unquote 1%, um, especially right. after Citizens United. Uh, I read the book uh, Dark Money, The Rise of the Radical Right, and Obama was kind of like the alarm that went off. It's like, oh my God, things are changing. Um, the status quo may change, which is going to make us a lot more poor. <laughs> than we were before. So then they all... <laughs> they all Relative <laughs> phrase there. Yeah. The one percent are like mm-hmm. the opposite of poor. Yeah, so then they like... Um, it's, it's not about money even, it's about power. Yeah, the, so the, the Koch brothers, which were like having these like, they have these annual um, seminars and meetings. Like they only had a couple people on board because like they were like, they're like very far on the fringe of the right. Um, and they only had a couple people come to those meetings. But then after the Obama election, it was like all of a sudden there was like, it went from five people coming to their meeting to like 50 to 100 billionaires coming to their meeting to come together to create ideas and to change policy so that one, Obama couldn't do anything and two, so they could kind of keep their money. <laughs> so you think that Trump's doing the opposite then? But well, there I, are smaller I, groups? Well, I was just saying that, that like Obama is a unifying force kind of for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Right, for the resistance on the other side, where I think that that's the point, yeah, like is now all of a sudden you've got people who care about climate change and have to come out and say these things, and it's more on the forefront that like, oh yeah, everybody does agree with this when somebody's actively denying it. Well, also, yeah, they don't wanna be associated. They're like, oh, like my president's saying this, but oh, wait, wait, no, yeah, no like we don't, the regular, regular people here don't believe in that. Right. I mean, the, 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 this is like when a Trump, quote unquote, pulled out from the Paris Accord, he's like, you know, I care, I'm, I'm president for the people of Pittsburgh, not for the people of Paris. Yeah. And then like minutes later, the mayor of Pittsburgh was like, no, the city of Pittsburgh is for the Paris Accords. Yeah. And just like a very large disconnect there from, you know, city to Trump. Yeah. All right, so when we come back, we're going to open up the discussion to what this, uh, move on, moving on from impacts into what this means in the long term for the United States. So now that we're back, I want to ask the first question here. Uh, Trump, as we can see, really is in many ways an embodiment of the 1% and that he has enormous power and wealth and has lived his life really without consequence for a number of years. Um, so... To open it up to you guys, how does this election reflect the current state of the 1% versus the 99% in America? Well, I think the, the Trump kind of just represents the just arrogance of the 1%, where it's like, I'm going to do things my way. It doesn't matter. I have enough power and money and the legal power to do anything I want. So he's just kind of just like bulldozing through things and bulldozing through norms and it's like I'm not gonna get rid of my taxes because who's gonna stop me and it's like I'm gonna like let people stay in the Trump Hotel which enriches you know my family and it doesn't matter (laughs) it's like ethics doesn't matter like I'm just gonna do whatever I want right so in terms of sustainability a good example is that like the 1% benefit extremely well from the status quo but then the rest of us the other 99% have to deal with the enormous financial inequality and climate change so really, in a lot of ways, 1% lives in their own like manufactured dream world, devoid of any consequence, while everybody else has to bear the brunt of reality. And I think that's a big distinction with the fact that you know they can still spend as much money they want to live as like how they want, regardless of like what the earth is doing, whereas the rest of us actually have to adjust our lifestyles. So I have two questions, but do you think he actually has any power as president right now? And then the second one is, do you believe it is a good thing, like we discussed earlier, that he's like igniting a fire underneath the rest of the 99%, and I think they will finally see that they can make a change? 
So I think in terms of power, I guess I've, I guess for him that means like for most of his life, yeah. he's had that. Like I mean, like obviously president. Oh, well, he has privilege. Yeah. Right, privilege. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Because I mean, it's like he doesn't have autocratic rule, even though he tries. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I do think it's a good thing. I like call me crazy, but I think it was better that he got elected at this time because I think that like it would have been a witch hunt on either side and it woke people up too at least going this way like it would have been a witch hunt on either side and the fact that like everybody has to basically eat shit for what they did (laughs) like and say you have to now defend him regardless of what he says I think it just it puts them on the defensive versus us having to say you know Hillary Clinton's doing fine blah 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 and everybody's like, you know screaming about every little thing that she may have done you know so I don't I just I think in the long term it was better but you know we'll we'll see right exactly. and I think I agree with you that this is a, a moment of tremendous opportunity for you know what you might call the left or if you want to call it the ninety nine percent though obviously there's tons of people in the ninety nine percent who are Trump supporters and and are um, you know cult on the other side of a of the culture war at play here. Um, but that said, I don't know. It still feels like pretty dark timeline to be living in, and mm-hmm. and there was a lot of momentum on on sustainability and climate projects that got broken, maybe not entirely, but having Rex Tillerson. As the uh, the Secretary of State, you know that's a guy who should be tried at the Hague for crimes against humanity, um, and it, I think that there's the 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 levers of power have ended up in really disastrous hands for the moment, and maybe we build a movement out of it or not, but it, I mean it's gonna. Yeah, and I think that like you touched on an important point. I guess that's why the podcast start, got started originally, or like this specific episode got started originally, was that like for everything that he does, we want to talk about like what has he concretely done that actually has impact? Because you know, uh, after a few years, this could get repealed real easy. I mean, President Obama spent eight years implementing all of his plans, and within a few months, all of a sudden, everything's getting rolled back. So in the in the long term, it's like yes, it may cause a lot of bluster and momentary pain but it's all going to go away soon like like who benefits from the chaos in congress it's the one percent like who benefits from like okay like we have an epa that cares about climate change now we have an epa who's trying to dismantle <laughs> environmental regulation it's like who benefits from that all the fossil fuel tycoons right and it's like as long as there's this chaos going on there's nothing really that could happen on a government federal level like when it comes to like fighting climate change <laughs> yeah and i think it, i mean just generally like you know the people in control when they don't know what they're doing everybody can kind of like i don't know run around like the wild west and do as they please without you know being checked on their actions so i guess another part that i wanted to build into this question was that the whole idea of fake news nowadays now that you know any verifiable truth like not, not even arguments like we're talking verifiable truths are now fake and i think this goes along with the idea that there's a certain fraction, the 1% of the population, who once again creates a dream world. And that's kind of one of those, another part of that is saying that anything that goes against what we want is fake news. Okay, regardless of how true it is. Whereas the rest of us say, yeah, it's true because I actually have to deal with that. I don't have enough money to just be willfully, willfully ignorant. Yeah, so. I'm, I mean, the whole fake news things is just like, I guess, a playbook for like becoming a dictator. 
It's like Chavez did this in Venezuela and like Maduro does the same thing. They just say these like ridiculous things. They blame the United States for everything. And then some people believe them and then they move on, even though what they said was just very false. So there's a, the attack on truth because like truth, like with truth, there's like a reason there. There's like some sort of logic when you're just like everything that's logical is really not real. Like you're just like fake news, everything. Then it's like you start to people start to question things, whatever. It's just like the more people start questioning actually true things, it's like the better it is for your own standing. So though, like Trump just loves Trump, like is taking the playbook to want to become a dictator. As much as like that sounds kind of crazy, he's he's like the first time in the history of like the White House attacked like a reporter and asked them to be fired. It's like that's something that happens in Venezuela all the time. And this is the first time the White House has ever done something like that. And I'm speaking about Jamil Hill from ESPN of all places. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just, that's not good at all. <laughs> it's, also, it's also possible that these nefarious things are not done extremely strategically. I, I don't know, I'm on the Trump has a rotting brain theory more than Trump is uh, a, a like, evil mastermind. <laughs> But, you know, the point is he's the culmination of a lot of forces that have been at play in our politics for a long time. And that's why he ended up where he is. And that's why he sort of manifests this bizarre set of Carnival Barker type circumstances. Uh, and not because he's this, like, wicked genius. Yeah. So to build off that as the last point to this question... You know, really what you see is him bringing this CEO mindset of like he acts in his own best interest regardless of the side he takes. Okay, when he brings that business mindset into politics, all of a sudden you see him making deals with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Okay, and like I even saw the headline that said that uh, he wanted to pass the bill to tweak Obamacare, but then still he like asked a Democratic senator that he could call it repeal and replace. So he still wants to act in his own best interest to say, I did these things, but I don't care what side I take to make myself look good. Well, and well, it's interesting how that's been introduced. Yeah, well, well, one, Trump does not act like a CEO at all. <laughs> I mean, if he, there's a reason why his whole like, economic advisory team all quit, <laughs> because they cannot be associated with the things that he was saying as actual CEOs of very large companies. So one, he's, he's not a CEO. And two, he's, he's really... Like only cares about his own image. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of evidence to like support that, but you know, with the whole like um, the Democratic meme of like Chuck, Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer and Nancy yeah. Pelosi, like, can I call this repeal and replace? Even though it's not that. It's like he just wants to look good in, mm -hmm. in front of the media, even though he calls the media fake news and whatever. But that's really what he cares about. Yeah, and that's why I brought up. I mean, all the executive action going back to those, like a lot of what he did. Like, they were certain things that he signed to say that they were going to start looking at something. So it wasn't like he was signing a new law. Like, oh, my, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. It was like, oh, hey, look, I signed this important thing. Look at me. And it turns out to be nothing. But it's all about the ceremony and, like, the staging and, like, how he looks as the commander in chief, you know? So. Well, he's, a, he's the reality TV star president, right? <laughs> yeah. And that again, is the, the culmination of a lot of trends in our culture of people wanting that, people experiencing the world through that type of, of medium. Um, and while it might be like, oh, he's not actually getting all this done, and 
I don't know if, if we should like feel comfortable or feel comforted mm-hmm. by the fact that he does it all for show because at some point we're kind of have to reconstitute our civil society or we'll like sort of fail at it, all the things we have to do to survive this, this century. Yeah. Uh, and having such a huge population of people think that this is how it, the world works um, is going to be a big obstacle to that task. Yeah, and, and, and I kind of want to add to that a little bit. It's not necessarily the things he's done, but really the things that he's said has had a very large impact one like Charlottesville with like white supremacists being comfortable without even wearing hoods to like protest and whatnot. And it's like there's a lot more people that are openly Islam- Islamophobic, a lot more people willing to like kick an immigrant in the street just because like they're immigrant. But just, just a, lot of, a lot of those things have serious impacts. Like I, I, was, I was reading today in the New Yorker that um, the amount of deportations have like doubled and the amount of people ICE has like detained has also doubled. So there are like real impacts to the things that he's saying, even though they're not really like concrete things. Oh, and one last thing is like this whole thing about like government ethics, it's like completely like nuking government ethics. So it's like, that's not something that's technically illegal, but that institution of like ethics in like the White House is like a very important thing. Something that we all agree on all of a sudden we're just, I mean, just to build off him real quick. Uh, I mean, they, they were, deporting people during Hurricane Harvey. Like ICE was like conducting raids at shelters while Harvey was coming through. So that's awesome. But yeah. uh, and, and, re- and regardless, because some people would debate that like uh, they actually didn't do that. They were like, it, it was happening. It wasn't regardless that uncertainty leads people to act in a certain way, which is like not to go to a shelter and just stay in their flooding house. Right. Yeah. It's about emboldening these other sort of forces in, in this culture war that make people feel less safe and, and allow the people to feel like they can go out and, and say these abhorrent views in public, which poisons all of our experience of, of politics. And I mean, even down to like emboldening cops to go kick the shit out of protesters on the streets after they murder someone. And I mean, I've, I'm from St. Louis. I've been watching what's been happening in St. Louis in the last couple of days. And it's it's really horrendous. And man, the cops are so excited about it. They're like, this is great. This is just like Ferguson, except this time we don't have this, you know, we know that if you go all the way to the top, it's gonna be someone who has our back. Well, it's like the crowd mentality when you have one person like doing crazy things and everyone's like, okay, it's all right to do that. And then all of a sudden, like, it's just this huge, huge mob of people who are doing terrible things. And I think Donald Trump's kind of like, the banner man for that like he's really saying hey like it's okay to be this way um because look at how much power i have look where i am and i believe in these views yeah and it's not only just like his backing with his like words and being like you know i'm gonna like you know go and do the worst possible thing um you know he pardoned joe arpaio who was like mm-hmm. doing like illegal things and like there's a long history of him doing like really fucking awful things to like immigrants and people being deported or just like Mexicans in general in like the Phoenix Metropolitan and um and and he pardoned him even though he was gonna go to jail so it's like you're saying it's hateful but there's also him doing actionable things to like enforce that view for like the police officers to do something legal well i feel like for him he can never go back on his word he doesn't he doesn't want to be that person and so that's why he's always saying really crazy things he'll be like like he'll 
I don't know, like just exactly what you said. He just doesn't want to be seen a certain way to the general public, but it just makes him come off even crazier when it's like, we have the proof, but you're saying this. Right. So moving on from this, uh, as our last question here, so what do you guys think? Are people complacent in their decisions because they didn't care until we had no choice but to care? Because I, I do think so. Like, I think that there's kind of this, you stand by and say, oh, my vote doesn't matter. And then that thought permeates through a whole part of the country, and then not a, a whole lot of people do not vote, and to voter turnout's low. And then something like this happens, and everybody's like, well, what, how the hell did this happen? Yeah. And it's like, well, you could have done something about it had you participated early on. So. I think there's a sense that we all have at different points in history of how easy it is to change things, right? They're like how much molasses have been poured over the levers of power and you, you can get your hands on them and try to make something happen, right? And how much the, the elites, the technocrats seem to be in control has a lot to do with how much we feel like we, non-elites, can change everything. And the last year, two years, has made it really clear that the elites are not in control, right? They may be wielding power in a really dangerous and destructive way, but they don't have their hands on the steering wheel. Nobody's got their hands on the steering wheel uh, because all the people who thought they did have lost at an, all these different votes, Brexit, etc. So that means that the opportunity to actually do something is, it feels much more palpable. Yeah, and I think national voter turnout's like 36%, and that's what people bank on. It's like, okay, of the 330 million people in this country, only 36% of them will actually turn out and vote. So it's not as much about getting the people who aren't going to vote to come out and vote as much as, like, for the at least for these people trying to get into power. It's those, you know, quote-unquote swing voters. Let's convince who's already going to come out that they should come to me. Essentially what they're counting on is the fact that with only 36% of the people turning out, it's like they don't have to work that hard to convince everyone. They only have to convince a select few and they can still like maintain their power. Someone like Mitch McConnell or whoever only has to convince a certain part of Kentucky that he's the best thing. And then he's back, you know, back in power for once again. Yeah, I think like one of the two biggest loopholes in our democracy is, is, is that life is too good here and that you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Like you don't have to vote, you don't have to participate, you don't have to care. You don't, you don't have to do anything. You're not forced to do anything. So then you have voter turnouts like 36%. And then if we just go down this hypothetical, we elect Trump, he starts doing dictatorship things. All of a sudden he starts holding more power. And then all of a sudden he's a dictator. And then just like what happened in Venezuela, and you're just like, well, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because people become complacent. It's but like, you saw that everything happened right in front of you and didn't register until it happens. And it's like... Life is too good. How many, how many people do you know that didn't vote because... I don't believe in voting. Yeah. It's like, I have a ton of friends that's like, I don't believe in voting. It's like, okay, like in this country, you're allowed to say that and you're allowed to not vote and you're allowed to not care, but then those things have consequences and then at the end of the day, if you may elect a, a dictator. Or like, well, people have that view, like, well, it doesn't affect me, which is a big issue, because yeah, it does. Even if you're not feeling, like, if I go to Starbucks, you know, in the morning and I'm on my iPhone, and then I'm gonna to go to class and I drive my own car, like awesome. Like I'm not gonna feel any of these things that Trump's discussing now, but that's something people have to realize is that these small things over time, like you said, can become something very dangerous. And, and there are some people who like have to care about these things, like people who are refugees mm-hmm. and people who are Mexicans or people who are on DACA. It's like all of a sudden your life is being flipped upside down because yeah. 
of a policy change and stuff. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but there's kind of like a sense of personal accountability or responsibility when it comes to the voting. It's like, yeah, so what? It doesn't affect me. But like, you're really going to vote for something just because like, oh, it may marginally affect me in a positive way and then shit on everyone else. I mean, it, you would like to think that there's like a certain level of like, well, I can take a certain, I can sacrifice a certain little something for everyone else to have I don't know, have some type of benefit. Well, what's that quote um, that someone said, like, the world's not going to end because of these, like, terrible people, but people who see terrible things being done? And that's kind of exactly what's going on right now with politics. Again, how much weight you put into that decision of even bothering depends on how much you think the system is rigged, right? And if you think that it is firmly in the hands of people that you will never have any influence over, um, then, yeah, why, why bother? Or, or that no matter who wins, you're going to get the same thing, which a, a lot of people feel like has been their experience for the last two decades. Yeah. So overall, I'm, I mean, just to kind of sum this up, it's like we have someone who acts as a, like what was the New Yorker cover of Trump talking through the megaphone? That was the KKK hood. Oh yeah, he was, was it, he was, was like, he was on a sailboat, yeah. and then he had a like you know the sail was white with like oh. two the the eye holes and the That's mouth hole, and he's blowing through it, and it's obviously like a KKK symbol, yeah. and he's just slow, like in his boat, just like. Whew. So you have someone who yeah represents who's like a megaphone for all of these repressed things that you know really came up through the Obama administration, and then you have people who got complacent in what they thought was, oh, I'm just going to vote for Trump and whatever. And then everybody did that, and look where we get, we're at. So I guess I guess my point is, like, you know, if everybody had the idea that they could make a difference, then some like, things would get done. And I know that sounds very cheesy and, like, like, stand, like, status quo, but, like, I mean, when you realize, once again, 36% of people come out, like, how much of a difference it would be. So, so yeah. how do you... How do you get there? How do you make people feel like what they do matters? Well, I think Trump's kind of doing that. He's angering so many people. It's like, you know what? No one's going to do anything. I'm going to do it. If you want something done right, you do yeah. it yourself. So that, I mean, I, I think there's that, that half, but isn't there, we shouldn't have to wait for a crisis yeah. to find a way to empower people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, like I mean, think. but that's kind of just how like systems work it's like you know well, there has to be a shock to the system when there's so many people you know like not everyone knows the processes to get to that change so i think it's just a lot of like what can we do we have to do more outreach to people and tell people you can do this you ha- you can get involved in this yeah like Mar- martin luther king was obviously a super important civil rights person but what would the civil rights movement be without uh, i forget whatever bridge it is in alabama like if that wasn't televised Whoa! Oh, um, like that, that when that was televised, that became a national crisis. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like we have to permeate the idea that like individually, your vote does not matter. Like you, like I understand that like one vote will not make the difference in an election, but the idea that idea is poisonous. So like everybody has to overcome that and say, okay, this may not matter, but I'm doing my part. And once everybody does their part, we can actually move things. Yeah, you should never give up, even if you don't think you can change anything. Well, well, Bush Gore came down to hundreds of votes in Florida. Exactly. So one vote didn't count, (laughs) or one vote didn't make the difference, but you know, a few did. So, Uh, uh, can I make a point, Andrew? You're talking about like people being frustrated with like the levers of powers and not being able, like people keep voting, same people in power. It doesn't really matter. 
one interesting thing that I heard on a podcast on the Political Gaffest podcast was um, if you were Mark Zuckerberg, would you have more power as president of the United States or as president of Facebook? Why not both? Just, <laughs> you know, we, we have one billionaire CEO president. Like, is there any reason to think that it's not going to be Mark Zuckerberg or Oprah next time trying to, like, take, <laughs> like, take power? Like, he's, he's, he wants to run. Is, that's just, like, dead obvious. find the idea repulsive myself. But, uh, and there's no... Trump has already like paved the way for someone to be a sort of businessman and the leader of the country at the same time. So how many how many more of the concessions that we actually got from Trump would Zuckerberg need to not bother with in order to just like stay ahead of Facebook while being president? I mean, like it would at first I would like to think that being the president of Facebook would give you more power, but then when you have someone like Trump who comes in and he's completely unchecked by the system, you know, he has multiple conflicts of interest that have not even been looked at, like not even addressed. Everybody says, oh, they're gonna... looking at the Russia thing. Well, okay. <laughs> but like, at least with his businesses, I should say, like in terms of. Um, there's tons that's been looked at, but it doesn't matter. There's no way to enforce it. Yeah, and I think it's. It's like, there's, it's very obviously that he's profiting off of the position. So yeah. I think. Which as, is not illegal as president. That's the thing. It's not. It's not. He didn't have to show his taxes. He didn't have to step away from his businesses. But are I you mean, talking about that, like how he's getting people to stay at his hotels and yeah, like yeah. he's having his daughters like, his, yeah. like close his yeah. personal businesses are profiting from this? Yeah, huh? yeah, exactly. But which is not illegal as president. It's just not a norm at all. Really? Yeah, it's really. It's not illegal to do that. I, I thought it was. Illegal. I don't know why I thought. That, I, I yeah. thought that was. No, it's like it's, it's like a conflict a, of interest. So the whole thing. thing with him, like basically like putting everything into a blind trust, was just part of the we agreed on ethics. That's a, yeah. That's an ethics. That's a norm. He could do that as president. Well, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was illegal. I was like, oh. No, not as pre- like as president. Like they wanted, they didn't want to put all these like barriers on the president. Mm-hmm. This was obviously hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So the before, president before he, the rise of the corporation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, what he's doing is like technically legal, but then it's like that's fucked up. Yeah, well, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, what are you doing? All right, I think that's it. Yeah. All right, so. Um, Thank you guys for listening to the Sustainability Review Podcast. Um, uh, Rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Um, Go over to the iTunes store, type in the Sustainability Review, you'd find us. Um, Check out all our stuff at the sustainabilityreview.org. Keep us on SoundCloud, and we'll see you guys and gals um, and gender-neutral people next time.